News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm your host, Christina Greer. Harry Siegel is off atoning this week. Happy Yom Kippur to all of our listeners. And we also have our other co-host, brand new Katie Honan of The City. Hello, Katie. Hey, Christina. How are you? Sorry. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. Um, before we get into our guest this week, Christina Vega from Chalkbeat, I just wanted to yik-yak with you about what's been going down in the city. I want to start with Rikers. The mayor has not been to Rikers in four years. What do you think Eric Adams is going to do when he becomes mayor as far as Rikers? And and what's the lay of the land uh, as you see it as a reporter this week? Yeah, I mean, Rikers is probably tied with schools as the story of the week from what we see, you know, just the conditions at the on the island. Um, a bunch of elected officials went there this week, not the mayor, but others, um, to just tour it and see what's going on. I know there's a hearing today uh, in the city council, well, remotely, not physically there, but just these questions of you have staffing challenges, um, horrible conditions in the jail, and the mayor released his plan uh, on Tuesday that, you know, it, it, that's what he said he wants to see the plan shake out. It involves getting police involved and, and improving conditions there and, and fixing that staffing issue. But that's when he said he will visit, you know, whether or not um, he, I'm sure he will just cave to public pressure and people continuing to ask him about it. And, and that's when he will visit. But um, yeah, I think it speaks to the mayor's sort of disinterest in, in, in a lot of things within the city, um, he just, if it's not on his radar, he just doesn't seem to mind, pay it any mind. Um, there was a stat today, I'm just trying to pull it up, on how many people, uh, correction officers call out sick, you know, on a daily basis. You have correction officers who just completely go AWOL. Um, I think of the 8,370 correction officers and staffers Yesterday, there were 1,789 who called out sick. So that is a serious issue uh, of, of, of that issue. Mm. So that's, yeah, so that's that. And, and we kind of chatted earlier about, I feel since COVID, we've had like six big reopening weeks, at least according to the mayor. And that's what we have this week. Broadway's back. Schools are back open. Um, yet we still have issues with the Delta variant. So it's a lot of deja vu and a lot of... Um, Things changing, but yeah, New York City is back again for the fifth time since COVID, at least according to the mayor. I mean, if I'm going to get a tattoo, I guess it'll just be like, we're back, dot, dot, dot. Um, You know, I I saw lots of people were really excited that Broadway's back. I just, I think it's so interesting, you know, the the restaurants and the venues that I've gone to, you know, I'm slowly venturing out, very, very slowly, Katie. Um, But, you know, I have Mm -hmm. my pass that shows that I'm vaccinated. Um, but I think it's so interesting the number of people who are still out and about knowing that the Delta variant uh, is still quite aggressive and even vaccinated people have contracted COVID. So there's this real tension, I feel, in the city of, of folks who are like, we still need to be incredibly cautious. But other folks who are like, we've been pent up for uh, a year and a half. If you get COVID with the vaccine, it doesn't seem that terrible. So we're going out anyway and like, we're just going to do it. And I, I think <laughs> there there's a real wide spectrum of levels of comfort in the city yeah. right now that I'm just fascinated Yeah, it's with. very interesting. Um, so yeah, that seems to be what's going on. Um, 
Just jails and schools, the big ones, the big issues, and Broadway, I guess, too, and the Met Gala. Um, but but I don't want to hear about the Met Gala. Right. I'm so sick of the Met Gala. It's, <laughs> the mayor got heat for not going, and then well, he goes, yeah. and people are mad, and the AOC dress and everything. It's It can seem like a distraction. Right. Yeah, I mean— Obviously, my students were really fascinated with AOC in attendance with the the dress that said tax the rich. Uh, I, I'm still just like, you know, of course, I look at the pictures. I'm like, that just seems like a lot of people in one space. <laughs> like We're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And I think what, you know, Christina Vega coming up will sort of toss out for us is, you know, we are still in the middle of a global pandemic, but we are behaving as though uh, we just need and want to move forward. But unfortunately, when it comes to schools, we're moving forward with a very large population that's not even vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, everyone is sick of it. I can't believe we've been doing this for so long. But there needs to be at least some health and safety measures put in place to keep everyone safe and to hopefully not prolong this any longer than it already is. Um, so, yeah, you know, I know I'm, I'm sure Christina... Other Christina at Chalkbeat will really give us uh, the lay of the land and how things are going. They've been doing great reporting on every aspect. There's so many constituencies, right, within schools. There's the parents and the students and the teachers and the unions, you know, everything involved. So and, and, and the borough distinctions, you know, I always joke that we're two Queens girls, but they're the borough distinctions. And then there are also the racial and religious yeah. um, distinctions as well. I mean, you know, obviously there have been lots of articles uh, about Black parents feeling as though their children have thrived uh, during online education yeah. because they're not dealing with micro and macro aggressions. Obviously, there's the class component where so many families did not have computers or high-speed internet or iPads. So in essence, many of our, our New York City school children haven't been educated in a year and a half, um, which is, is going to have devastating rippling effects, obviously, for years to come. And then we have the religious exemptions throughout the city, uh, some real and, and some imagined. Yeah, no, definitely a lot to deal with. Um, so yeah, we will hopefully have a great conversation with her on, on everything going on. Well, let's take a listen. Today we have Christina Vega from Chalkbeat. Thank you, Christina, number two, for coming on FAQ NYC. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so welcome back, I should say. So Katie, Harry, and I wanted to have you on because we know that on Monday, over a million New York City school children went back to their classrooms in person. Uh, I saw on Twitter all the angst and anxiety of parents and teachers and staff who were really thinking about, we are in the middle of one of the largest public health experiments in the history of our nation. And we have million uh, over a million children just in New York City alone, uh, many of whom are unvaccinated. In classrooms, um, we have teachers who are, many are vaccinated, but some are choosing not to be vaccinated for a host of reasons. And so I wanted you to just kind of give us a lay of the land as to where we are right now. We're in day three. Uh, we know last year was a hellstorm for so many parents and uh, students themselves learning on Zoom or trying to learn on Zoom and figuring out their internet. And many people didn't have computers or laptops and so what have we seen in the past two plus days uh, in New York City? How prepared have we been? Are we? Um, and can you also just add in what did the school chancellor sort of lay out for us and help us get prepared or not in your estimation? 
Yeah, so Monday was a really big day. Um, New York City is the biggest school system by far in the country, and there is no option to learn remotely this year. That is a huge change. Last year, some 60% of families chose to keep their kids learning online, even with all of the limitations of remote learning, um, just given the public health concerns and the concerns for their children specifically. And New York City is a bit of an outlier in not having um, a remote option. There is a very limited option for students who are medically fragile and homebound, although we're hearing there are issues with that, um, major delays in getting kids signed up. And so although Monday was the first day, um, some kids were not in school because they didn't, um, they weren't able to get signed up for homebound instruction in time. We've heard also that there have been long lines at in-person uh, enrollment centers, people who just haven't been able to sign up their kids for their school yet. Um, and we've also heard from parents who are keeping their kids home in protest uh, out of the fact that there is no remote option and they're scared for their kids and for, for their own health. Um, so it's definitely been an interesting few days. Uh, the school's chancellor has been a huge cheerleader of getting kids back in classrooms and Mayor Bill de Blasio as well. Um, and they've said that's where they're focusing all of their efforts is getting people back into classrooms where they believe students will learn best. And so she's been on a whirlwind tour of the city. Um, and even before school started, she was touring campuses along with the mayor, showing off a host of safety measures that they've taken. Um, the city likes to call it a gold standard of health and safety. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of parents and teachers might beg to differ, um, but the city has done a lot. Uh, they have focused a lot on ventilation, upgrading uh, HVAC units and that sort of thing, putting in air filters. They've bought uh, air purifiers for every classroom, although there are questions about the efficiency of those air purifiers and whether they bought the best ones. And they will be testing unvaccinated um, people on campus, uh, 10% of them uh, every two weeks. And there's some real questions about um, whether enough people will opt into that testing. Last year, supposedly it was mandatory uh, and still only about 40% of uh, students were getting tested. And this year, you know, the city can't tell them that it's mandatory because there is no remote option to uh, switch mm -hmm. kids to if they don't get tested. So we'll see how the, the testing program rolls out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 10% is a, a relatively small number since we know that with the Delta variant, um, even vaccinated people can can catch COVID. I think my follow-up question for you is that anecdotally, and then, you know, there were some articles about many Black parents keeping their children home um, just because of the rates of COVID in particular communities. Are there any borough-by-borough borough distinctions that you've seen thus far about parents opting in or opting out of the current system? We don't have figures yet. And in fact, we don't really have good attendance figures yet. The city says that the first day of school attendance, um, let me get this number correct, was 82.4% which is down significantly from pre-pandemic years. In 2019, it was 90%, uh, and the mm. year before that, it was 89.5. The problem is we don't know out of how many students <laughs> um, 
enrollment is not settled yet for New York City schools. And we know last year that schools bled about 43,000 students. That's about 4% of the, the city's total enrollment um, that didn't enroll in public schools last year. That's uh, the biggest attrition rate in one year than uh, the previous 14 years combined. So there's a lot of, of parents who who might be choosing to go outside of the public school system or who are staying home and waiting to see how things go. We've seen this in other school districts across the country that have already opened. New York City opens pretty late compared to most places. Um, and the other thing that I've been really curious to see and the city has not provided, although I have asked and asked, is for vaccination rates, youth vaccination rates by mm-hmm. zip code. Uh, we don't really know what those look like. And I think that could have a huge impact on how many disruptions we're seeing in schools as far as quarantines and that sort of thing and, and who gets sick, how many people get sick. Um, the city has provided some demographic breakdowns and it shows that uh, in the last couple of uh, weeks too, leading up to school, we, we have seen some big upticks in the 12 to 17 crowd. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of uh, change in uh, Hispanic students getting uh, vaccinated. There have been some really low rates among white students, especially in Staten Island and Brooklyn. Um, so I would love to see where those pockets are. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot that we don't know. Before I toss it to Katie, uh, on a scale of one to 10, uh, Monday being the, the first day of mandatory in-person schooling for New York, what would you give the rollout as far as a grade between one to 10? You know, it's hard to know or make such a sweeping statement like that. There's like 1,600 schools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to one. I'm like, Christina, um, you know everything. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> you know, I think I think there it was a real bag, you know, mixed bag of stuff at the school that I went to on the Lower East Side. Uh, the bell rang at 820, and there were still tons of folks out on the sidewalk around 9 o'clock in the morning. We know that the city's health screening app that uh, people are supposed to fill out before they go to school saying that they don't have COVID symptoms and haven't come in contact with anyone who has COVID symptoms, that crashed. It's a real question to me how how much schools really enforce um, those health screenings. But so if that's any indication of sort of system wide uh, what issues we had, that that might be one. So, Christina, I did want to ask you, I know there are so many challenges relating to COVID within the school system, but there was something that that came down last night Um the sort of temporary block of the city hall mandate of, for vaccines for teachers. Um, I guess the judge issued the temporary restraining order in response to the lawsuit, uh, bought not just by the teachers union, by other municipal unions. So if you want to speak a little bit about what that is, some pushback you may have heard from teachers and other DOE employees who are reluctant to get the vaccine. Yeah, so this is going to be very interesting. So there are a couple things going on here. The teachers union filed a complaint uh, that went to arbitration. Um, and we have a, a result there that um, the city, the city initially was apparently refusing to accommodate vaccine exemptions and also to make accommodations for people who for whom it's not safe for them to be working in schools. Uh, so the union filed a complaint that went to arbitration and was settled and found that the city 
does need to make um, accommodations for folks who, for example, are immune uh, suppressed, even though they might be fully vaccinated, um, they're still at risk uh, if they work in the classroom. So this, the city has to find placements outside of the classroom for those folks, according to this decision. And also uh, the decision created some specific exemptions for people who have religious or other medical uh, reasons, such as possibility of a serious allergic reaction um, that would prevent them from getting the, the shots. So that's one thing. And then we have uh, a lawsuit that a ton of uh, the city's municipal labor unions have signed on to, including the UFT, the United Federation of Teachers, which is the teachers union, and also CSA, Council of School Supervisors and Administrators, which represents um, principals and assistant principals. And that lawsuit is what you were referring to, the temporary injunction that was issued last night. It's a little complicated because the vaccine mandate doesn't go into effect until the 27th of this month. And this injunction is until the 22nd of, of this month when there will be a hearing. So in the immediate term, the decision doesn't really do anything because there's nothing to stop from going into effect yet. Um, but the decision will be interesting to see how that plays out. So what the unions are claiming there is a number of things. Um, they are saying that the, the mandate violates individual bodily integrity and right to infuse me refuse medical treatment. They're saying that uh, the mayor's mandate violated due process. Um, and they also say that... Um, one of their concerns was that there were no exemptions for medical or religious reasons. Um, so I'll be really curious to see whether the UFT continues to support this lawsuit because some of the issues here have already been decided through arbitration. I've asked UFT what their stance is on a mandate and if they support that, uh, we'll see what they say. Um, but also the, the principals union has signed on to this, which is interesting. They haven't really spoken publicly about what their position is um, in terms of a mandate. I haven't heard a ton from individual teachers who are refusing to get vaccinated. So it's a, it is a real question to me how many folks this will ultimately apply to. Oh, and something important is the arbitration uh, finding uh, also allows the city to remove teachers from payroll if they refuse vaccination. They can keep their uh, medical benefits through the end of the year. And if teachers resign, rather than being removed from payroll, they can get their uh, their vacation uh, paid out. So, um, so yeah, we'll see how many teachers ultimately that applies to. Even if it's a small, you know, percentage, there's almost 80,000 teachers in New York City, so it could be a big number. And uh, we'll have to see if the city is ready to um, to fill any positions that might end up being open because teachers refuse vaccination. And like you say, even if it is a small percentage, even one person is, is disruptive to students and schools. And I'm just curious, do you know, because I have not had this answer really, of which religions are are not don't have you know would allow such an exemption i've heard from teachers who are catholic i guess the pope getting the shot kind of uh um ruined it for them there but i don't know if you know of any uh, religions that are opposed to vaccines 
I am not sure who would ultimately qualify for a religious exemption. It seems like it will be very narrow because the ruling includes language that says if the head of your religion has uh, come out and supported vaccines, so, you know, in, in the case of Catholics and the Pope, um, they might have a hard time arguing that uh, that their religion preempts them from getting the vaccine. There's specific language in there that says that uh, political and personal um, uh, opposition will not count. It has to be some sort of statement from the head of the religion uh, that would qualify them for an exemption. So I don't imagine many people will be getting these. And if Christina, if I could just, um, Christina Vega, ask us one more. I know one thing we want to discuss was sort of this idea of parent and caretaker rights, right? You know, I, I don't think there's ever been an instance in my lifetime of a parent left to wonder, is there a large health decision being possibly made by my child's teacher that could endanger them? So what are you hearing from parents of their concerns and if teachers are being forthcoming about their vaccination status and stuff like that? I haven't heard yet any cases of people demanding to know their teacher's vaccination status. We do know that at least upwards of 70% of teachers are vaccinated. Um, it's hard to know the true number because the city only knows those who got vaccinated within New York City. Um, so it is a high number, and compared to other municipal workforces, the, the education department is pretty high up there. Um, but that still leaves, you know, maybe a quarter of teachers who aren't. And so I can very much imagine this um, being nerve wracking, especially in elementary school where, you know, none of the kids can be vaccinated. And that's a huge reason why a lot of parents were still hoping and are still advocating for a remote option. They are mm -hmm. scared for their children. I mean, I can't imagine this this fear, especially because so many young people cannot be vaccinated just yet. Uh, Christina V, have you seen any distinctions between how public schools are handling this versus charter schools? So my colleague Alex has written a couple of uh, really informative stories about how charter schools are handling this. And Alex. Alex Zimmerman. Okay. Check it out at chalkbeat.org uh, chalkbeat and go to our New York page. Um it's kind of a wild, wild west because mm -hmm. charter schools started before uh, district public schools. And so in a lot of cases, it was just charter school leaders reading CDC guidance and trying to figure it out for themselves and see what was feasible. Um, we know that there was a lawsuit and now the city has to extend its same testing um, you know, protocol to charter schools as well. Um, but again, charter schools were in class uh, well before uh, the district schools in a lot of cases. And we have seen uh, a significant number of closures. I wouldn't say significant, but a notable number of closures already and quarantines in charter schools at Success Academy, which is the city's largest charter network. Something like 22 percent of classrooms had already been closed uh, within the first month of school. And so we know that um, that there are real issues that they're dealing with. Even in the case of Success Academy, they required all of their teachers to be vaccinated and still we're seeing cases. Um, mm -hmm. So I think their experience shows that 
even in New York City, highly vaccinated workforce, um, we're in for another year of major COVID disruptions. And with that, it brings so many complications for working families, especially mm-hmm. mothers on whom the childcare burden tends to fall disproportionately. And just for how much kids are going to be able to learn. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as someone who's currently teaching mandatory in person, um, but we have very clear COVID outlines and protocols, literally a flowchart of what happens when someone is exposed versus someone who catches COVID, um, what we're supposed to do as far as canceling class versus, you know, moving to virtual or just still staying in person because it's like, well, I mean, they had contact, but we'll just roll these dice until we figure it out. Um, Where are the unions and how much uh, is the communication between the BOE and and the protocol of what happens when we start to see these spikes. Because as we've seen, so many of us who are vaccinated, I mean, we're still susceptible to the various variants and we can uh, not only catch COVID, but transmit it as well. So are you feeling like the communication has been clear enough for parents as to what happens with exposure versus actually contacting, contracting COVID and what parents and students and staff uh, are supposed to do? when that happens? So the city um, has released protocol for quarantining um, when there are positive cases on campus. And they're a little different than last year because now kids can be vaccinated and and also teachers. Um, And so in the case of people who are vaccinated, they will not have to quarantine if they uh, are in close contact with someone who tests positive for COVID, as long as the vaccinated person does not have symptoms. Um, In elementary school classrooms, it's a little different. If anyone uh, tests positive for COVID, the whole class uh, gets shut down and shifts to remote instruction. And that's for a couple of reasons, obviously, elementary school students can't be vaccinated, but also that um, that policy is more strict than the CDC, which says that uh, students can continue to be in school as long as they're properly masked and stay within three feet of the infected person. Uh, instead of trying to do all of that contact tracing, the education department is just going to close the whole classroom because they say the reality of a classroom is that There's not a whole lot of social distancing going on. Um, And we know that since schools are at full capacity um, with no option to learn remotely, not every school has the space to socially distance. Their classrooms are full, hallways are full. um, So they're just shutting down classrooms. Uh, But it is confusing and and complicated. um, And we at Trackbeat are actually working on a flowchart, kind of like you mentioned, uh, to help parents understand in what cases their kid might have to quarantine or not. But there are all these other cases too. You know, what happens when there's a case on a school bus? Well, a school bus is going to be treated like a classroom. Um, so it, there's just so many scenarios that, um, quite frankly, people freak out about <laughs> and get in touch uh, with us about to ask, is, is this right? Should this have been, um, you know, should my classroom have been closed? Am I allowed to go back to school? Um, and the city does have what they call a situation room, which is uh, basically a bunch of public health and schools officials all together uh, fielding calls from schools when positive cases arise. They handle uh, tracking vaccination status. They handle um, 
the contact tracing um, and they help schools figure out basically who has to quarantine and for how long. So, Christina, it's funny just thinking of all the scenarios that we're in. I'm sure you never imagined you'd be reporting on this public health experiment when you started at Chalkbeat. But if you want to even take a, a big step back and reflect on what it has been like covering the largest public school system in the country, in a city that had been an epicenter of COVID and everything that came with it. It's been hard. <laughs> it's been really hard. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have cried on the phone with me. I mean, people just literally scared for their lives. Um, and then I feel like in the summer, there was this brief period of hope where, and even the way the mayor talked about it and the chancellor talked about it, where there was this expectation that this school year was going to be something uh, more approaching, you know, normalcy. And then Delta <laughs> happened. And I could sense just in talking to educators and, and families, like a real sense of almost defeat and deflation. Like, you know, we were so close. Um, but then the reality set in that, you know, it's going to be another tough school year. And in covering all of this stuff, it's, it's a lot of pressure and it's hard because I don't want to look back at my coverage and say, you know, that I was fear mongering and kept kids out of classrooms when they would have been safe, you know, learning in person. And, and I don't want to say that I was dismissive of, you know, concerns of parents and, and missed, you know, the signs in terms of the public health and that sort of thing. But the landscape is always changing and we're learning, um, you know, every day about how COVID affects kids and how COVID spreads or doesn't spread in schools and, you know, masks. And it, it, it's also become so polarized. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised because education is political, unfortunately. Um, but the way that the debates have played out, um, inside classrooms across the country, um, it, it's been uh, shocking uh, to see. Um, and it's a little different in New York City. Like the the debate over masks is not quite as pitched as in other places. Uh, we do have high vaccination rates here. But, you know, there are there are pockets of dissent. Um, and, you know, it it's hard to balance, um, you know, making sure that you're covering how people are feeling, what we know about, uh, about this virus, um, and making sure that the city is following um, and doing everything that it can do to keep people safe while also making sure kids are educated. It's, it's been a wild ride. I like that pockets of dissent. It's, it's sort of the perfect way to put it because like you say, in New York City, you don't have the same amount of these meetings that go viral of people screaming and yelling, but you get it sometimes. Um, and I think you, you take something that's already political education and you add on to it public health and what you say, people truly afraid for their lives and it just heightens everyone's emotions. Yeah. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, for me, I, I just, I can't begrudge people for wanting to do what they think is right for their kids. 
But New York City is such a huge system and what people think is right for their kids is so different from community to community. Um, you know, making policy that applies to 1,600 schools, a million students, uh, it's going to be messy and hard. Um, and I think a lot of parents feel like there hasn't been a whole lot of room for flexibility in individual school communities or districts, um, you know, where, say, parents are ready to send their kids back to school. Um, and in other places where parents really aren't, um, I've heard a lot of um, frustration over over that sort of thing. But then on the other hand, there's also a lot of frustration that a lot of, um, you know, figuring out what school should look like during COVID has fallen on individual principals and teachers and schools to figure out, you know, how that can, can they pull off remote instruction uh, for kids who are learning online and also make sure that kids in the classroom have a teacher in front of them uh, you know, it, it's it's a huge and seemingly impossible task to balance uh, all the time. So, Christina, what are you going to be looking for in the next few weeks uh, as you do your reporting? Now that the kids are back, we allegedly have these HVAC systems, parents and teachers are slowly getting on board. What's what's going to be your, your focus? if you could predict in this unpredictable scenario? So many things. We're looking for so many things. Um, the biggest is just do do kids and families actually come back? I mean, we've had a historic drop in enrollment. Um, we have people who are sort of waiting it out to see how things go and whether they're convinced that schools are actually keeping kids safe. So I think that's huge and number one is, you know, where are, where are kids? Are they coming back to public schools? Um, but we're also going to be looking at our kids learning. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of the point of going to school. Um, and the city has promised all sorts of things to try to gauge where students are and extra supports to help them catch up, particularly in literacy um, and that sort of thing. But also mental health supports. They've mm. uh, promised all kinds of additional staff and programming and um, and we'll see whether any of that or all of that comes to fruition. Another huge issue is, you know, students with disabilities lost out on a lot um, mm. during remote learning. Not all of them. For some of them, you know, remote learning might have worked uh, better, but many were not able to receive services that, you know, are kind of impossible to deliver online. And so, the city has pledged hundreds of millions of dollars to help fill in the gaps for those kids. Um, but the details about how that's supposed to happen are still pretty unclear. And again, this seems like something that might be figured out on a school by school basis. And whenever that happens, there's always the opportunity for uh, students to uh, not get the best of services when schools are, are juggling a lot and dealing with, you know, not having enough resources, that sort of thing. So we'll be looking at how those kids get served, but also just generally, like, how long can we keep schools open? Um, will cases stay down? Uh, how disruptive are quarantines going to be? Um, you know, the public the public health side of this is, is huge and not going away and will uh, help determine all of the other things, you know, how long kids are in classrooms and what services they're getting and that sort of thing. Right. Oh, Christina, thank you so much. Please, please, can you make time to come and check in with us as the semester goes on? 
Um, I I am always up for talking New York City schools. There's plenty. Oh, fantastic. And shout out to uh, Mike Lindsay, who's the, the head of the McSilver Institute, which hosts this podcast, because his research is obviously on uh, mental health and obviously what's going on with young people, especially uh, African-American children who were um, in and out of the school system as well. So hopefully we can get him on at some point to have a conversation with you about the, the mental health aspects, which I think are, are a key element of, of what's going on with so many kids right now. Absolutely. And, you know, let's not forget the context of last summer and the historic demonstrations that we've seen for civil rights um, and against police brutality. You know, kids were watching that and were marching themselves. And, um, you know, they're bringing all of that. And they've watched all of the political toxic, uh, you know, rhetoric that has gone on. and, And they're bringing that into classrooms and, you know, polls have shown that they they're stressed about these things too. Um, and so it's, it's a whole bunch of overlapping, uh, issues that they're dealing with the public health crisis being disconnected from schools, um, witnessing and taking part in these demonstrations. Um, schools have a whole lot on their plates. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, um, you know, Katie and I are both Queens girls and we obviously uh, (laughs) think about our, our teachers quite a bit, you know, not just, I mean, they are the frontline workers as well. Uh, and so Christina, thank you so much for joining us on FAQ NYC. Christina, number two, Christina Vega, um, from Chalkbeat. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Thank you guys. FAQ. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brookhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. A special thank you to our guest, Christina Vega of Chalkbeat. Our executive producer is Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be well, wear a mask, get a shot if you want to, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>